holy shit, Italo Ferreira just won the first surfing Olympics. Like, this kid grew up the son of a fisherman in a really small town, and he grew up surfing on a fucking cooler lid. Hello, my name is Danny Johnson, and welcome to the Drop on the Stab podcast feed. A feed that normally contains two types of show. We've got this show, The Drop, where I cover off the week's surf news with Stab's editor, Brendan Buckley, and then interview someone from the surf world. The other show is Stab Cusp, where Mikey Saramella and Stace Galbraith cover the world of competitive surfing and the WSL. And this episode, we're combining the two shows. So first up, I'm going to chat to Buck. And then in the same episode, we're going to hear from Stace and Mikey, who will go deep on the Olympics in that typical cusp way that they do. But before we get to that, let's chat to Brendan Buckley, Stab's editor-in-chief, Big Dick Power Surfer. Brendan Buckley. Hello, Danny Johnson. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. Doing very well. (laughs) That's great to hear. What sort of surf news you got for me? Oof, to be honest, it's a pretty slow week. Yeah. I can't, there's nothing major that happened. No. Like there is no big story that, that seems to be gathering a lot of attention. Nothing that people are really talking about. It's pretty weird. Have you heard anything? I mean, not really. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to rack my brain here. I did hear, it's weird because it wasn't, like a WSL event, but mm-hmm. so I'm not sure what the like governing body was, but I do think they had a surf contest in Japan. Ah, oh, uh, where did you hear that? Um, I think just a friend told me. Yeah, <laughs> a Japanese friend, most probably. <laughs> Pretty likely, yeah. Anyway, this week not really a slow week. Story number one: Italo Ferreira, Chris Amore. Surfing's first ever Olympic champions. Did you indulge in the in the event, Danny? Yeah, you know what? I was just completely wrong. I, I came into this so cynical. And then as soon as I saw how much the surfers cared and how much it meant to them, I was sucked right in. And I also love shitty waves. Those unpredictable shitty waves that they had were super entertaining. Those just Coca-Cola colored rip bowls. Well, they're not really Coca-Cola, more of a a Nesquik or a Milo. Do you have Milo in America? Or, we don't, or but I know what it is. Yeah, it's, it's just it's, like a chocolatey drink. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so I, I watched and just knowing how much it meant to the surfers or seeing how much it meant to the surfers, I was like sucked right in and all about it. How, did, how, how was it for you? My experience was really funny because in France, the network that bought rights to the broadcast is called Eurosport. And at least in France specifically, they didn't pay commentators to talk over it. It was literally just raw audio, which was really weird. Yeah, I can imagine. And so I watched a lot of it. I had to, I'd wake up early to watch it, especially woke up really early yesterday to get as much of the final day as possible. But even the gold medal match was like raw dog audio. And that was a strange way to watch surfing. (laughs) <laughs> were you were you catching any background moments? Absolutely. 
Yeah. Oh, plenty of people saying fuck on the broadcast. Plenty of confusion. What the fuck is this? Like, you know how surf events go. No, that fucking bullshit. If something weird happens, it can take a minute to figure out. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, I think especially after that Julian Wilson, Gabriel Medina heat. Sick fucking bastards. There's an argument that Gabriel had caught his first wave out of the contest zone. I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want with it. I could hear the Australian team talking about that on the beach. That's fucking great. And plus, Julian also had a last minute wave that it wasn't really that close to the score, but who knows, maybe the judges could have went rogue and given it to him. And you're in for a big fucking surprise. And so there was all this confusion. I heard them talking about, well, they don't announce it on the beach. Like, what do we do? And I guess they had to file a protest in 15 minutes, which eventually got denied. But seeing that moment was great too, because there was just nobody, I was just there with them. Nobody to give me some context as to what's happening. I'm just sitting on the beach with Julian and Bede as their confusion is peaking. And they're like, well, what do we do? <laughs> Somebody fucked us up big time. That's something we definitely didn't get on the commentary because obviously they talk right over that. My understanding of that scenario was that Gabby did surf outside the designated area, but the rules stated that you risk your wave not being scored, not that you, uh, you're, not that your wave won't count, and he, his wave obviously still was was scored. But man, in, to, in terms of a, one of surfing's best rivalries, and not that they've had that many moments, but just the amount of hate that I seem to, or energy around that, that hate. Uh, Gabby and, and Julian have had some, some really amazing moments. Gabriel Medina is the 2017 male rip curl pro Portugal champion, taking out Julian Wilson with a quick revenge from the final in Tahiti, and now comes into the Pipe Masters number two in the world. And if Julian was to win, against Gabby in the Olympics based on a dis some sort of filed complaint, I can imagine that that would have just been the ultimate end to, I mean, Julian's wrapping up his career at this point competitively. So that would have been the ultimate end to, to a weird rivalry that, that we saw there. I think at that point you have no choice but to escalate it from tears to blood. <laughs> it's, only, it's the only place you can really go from there, you know? Who would you put money on in that scenario? Gabby with his, you know, he's from Brazil. So you got to assume that he's at least got some sort of jujitsu skills, at least by a, osmosis, if not anything else. Or Julian, who seems like he's capable of, of rage. Julian's best chance would be through dad strength. Otherwise, I'd go Medina. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of like they're, they're the ultimate... Street Fighter 2 characters. We got Ken and Ryu. Gabby's obviously Ryu mm. and and Julian's Ken and they were perfectly matched. So it'd be a good fight. Fight. I had a really good time watching it as well. I I kind of figured I we talked about this after the surf wrench, but surf contests can be so long and there are inevitably going to be boring bits, especially when you're watching completely raw stream from the event for me <laughs> but when it gets down to that final it's just such good viewing and i do think it being the olympics really enhanced that like watching kanoa and italo and carissa and bianca paddle out and know that one of them was about to be a gold medalist and know that they're the, it's just it was really cool yeah it's it was, pretty huge it was awesome buten Silver medal was surprising. Like she's kind of disappeared from the tour and then she just dominated. 
big backhand wax and and really kind of came from nowhere in that event. She was she was really impressive. Good for her. That surprised me as well, but good for her. You could tell, at least my interpretation of it, you know, it's you go out and it's you're either gonna win a gold medal or not, and you don't, it's probably not gonna feel so great. Mm. You could tell going in that <clears throat> she didn't look she looked quite happy with her result. She didn't look like she was too devastated that she went that far and didn't win the gold. She looked pretty genuinely happy for Carissa and happy with her performance. So that was cool to see as well. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of bitter silver medals out there. I'd probably way rather have a bronze than that silver medal that just you just spend the rest of your life just like, oh, I was so close to gold. Whereas bronze. You go bronze. Bronze is just contentment. You're like, yeah, I got an Olympic medal. You don't have to worry about that, that pain of the silver. Uh, I mean, I'd take, I'd take gold above them all, of course, but, you know, cheeky bronze is, is not to be overlooked. I like that. That's, that's good. I like that. All right. Uh, we'll leave the rest of the Olympics to Mikey and Stace on the cusp. I'm sure they'll do a good six to eight hour deep dive on every heat. Well, that's only the half of it. Second story I'd like to talk about, maybe a story, maybe a clip. That's for you to decide. But at Stab High... Van Sabhai, Central America, presented by Monster Energy. Aaron Brooks landed what we claimed, what we questioned actually, was possibly the best air ever landed by a female in the ocean. Wait, did Aaron Brooks just land the best female air in history in the first hour of Sabhai? Oh my gosh, I thought I was going to fall three different times on that wave. And you can watch it now on our site. It's in episode one, but you can also see it in, on, in a standalone clip on our YouTube or on our site. And for my money, it is in fact the best air a female surfer has landed in the ocean. So that's huge. Well, you're a stab high judge this year. So your opinion actually counts in the show. And I just, I love her. Like, regardless of her air, she's so lovable on land. Hi, I'm Erin Brooks. I'm originally from Texas, and now I live on the North Shore of Oahu. She's one of the most well-spoken 14-year-olds that I've ever seen on, on, on tape. It's, it's incredible. She's intimidating, but in, and she's so bubbly and lovely. And then when you watch her surf, she's, she's vicious. I, uh, I'm so impressed with, with her. Was she, was she a standout out of all the ladybirds on Stab High? She was for sure. And it's funny because it sounds like you got a pretty good sense of how she operates. Like she was so, so friendly and so nice and so sweet on land. And it wasn't like she switched into a different, like a more angry zone in the water or anything, but you could tell she was so focused. She was going to surf for like 10 hours a day. And you could tell she just really wanted to land the best air as possible. And that she was in a zone that she was able to stay in for like all day long. And then just come out of the water and same thing, friendly and happy and mellow. So yes, she definitely has that switch. Do you get the sense that these ladybirds that we're seeing, I mean, we know Sierra Kerr at this point is heading towards the tour. At least she's competed in a regional QS over here in Australia at the start of the year or a few months ago. Do you get the sense that the the other ladybirds have got their eyes set on the tour or are they, are they going to be free surfers? I would love to see a generation of female free surfers. I think that'd be really cool. 
It's hard to say. I think that surfers have such a hard time. A talented surfer seems to have such a hard time avoiding the WSL. I think what they have, it's just naturally what people spend so much time talking about and so so many people reference as like, this is what good surfing is. I think if you know that you're really fucking good at surfing, it'd be hard to resist the WSL. Unless you have something really, really unique going on that doesn't quite fit what they're doing. But with some of these girls coming up, I think they're just too talented to really resist. I think they'll get in the mix. But I'd love to see them take it elsewhere. And I'd love to see more male surfers take it elsewhere too. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunity on the WSL. But there's also surfers like Sky Brown, who is a former Stab High contestant, who she, she has her own Barbie doll now. She's got a skate career. She's incredible in the half pipe. And her potential to, in terms of just what she can do as a media personality seems to already be eclipsing what she'd be able to achieve as a WSL surfer. So I don't know. There could be superstars like her that are in the making. She's got a million contracts and, and uh, all kinds of multidisciplinary talent. So I don't know. But yeah, I'm with you. I want to see some some more female free surfers, and particularly, particularly ones that are that are going to be proficient in the air. Oh, that's only the half of it. The next story we'll talk about, story number three, is that Supreme. You know Supreme. You know Supreme. They launched a very interesting collab with none other than Maury Boogie Boards. <laughs> Danny, your thoughts? <laughs> Do you say Maury? I always said Moray. More, eh? Is that is? Do we have a pronunciation issue here? I think it's. I think it's just might be Australian American. Uh, you would know. I mean, who am I? Just some uh, Australian halfwit. But yeah, I, I feel good about it. I, I I love that they they made that new boog. I mean, booging in Australia is so huge right now. I'm not sure what it's like in the states. Like all the young Australian free surfers are bodyboarding all the time. Guys like Creed, Noah, Harry, Brian, Sean Manners. They're all always jumping on boogs. And it's just on, it's on the up and up bodyboarding. It's, it's basically the new Bitcoin in this country. So the fact that Supreme's jumped on board is, is not surprising to me. How do you feel about it? Well, one thing that I found interesting is that that model, I looked it up today, that model just coming from Maury, Moray, however you say it, uh, that model costs 129 US dollars. The Supreme Collab one, which is the same model, costs three fifty. So that's a lot of money to, and I know that's their whole thing. You're paying for that logo, but my biggest question is because you see surf brands, well, not surf brands, you see fashion brands do it sometimes too. You see, like Gucci made a surfboard that is seven thousand dollars, and on their site, and it's like, have you ever seen one of these in the wild? No, I've never seen anyone surf one, and. Yeah, are they stuck on walls? I never even really thought about that. Yeah, like that's my question with this. Like, where does this where does this boogie board go? Like, I don't think you'll see Harry riding it. Like, who's gonna buy it? Who's gonna ride it? Is it gonna hang on a wall? Like you said, where where's this bug going? Well, I think my understanding of Supreme is that it's it is essentially like I mean, I made a joke about bodyboarding being on the rise like Bitcoin, but Supreme essentially is like Bitcoin in the sense that. They make really limited amounts of it and then it sells out instantly and then people resell it and it just gains value. I don't know if that'll keep going on forever, but that seems to be the way Supreme works. So I think when they do a collab and they've done so many that it's, it's, they're never intended for actual use. 
Mm. I mean, do people even do people wear their? Sh- I guess people do wear the shirts. Maybe some of the clothing people wear, but some of the other stuff, I think it's all just traded on the black market. Well, I just want to see one in the wild. I want to see a big old El Rolo. You know, your ARS, your three hundred and sixty. That's all. I just ran my hole. That's all I got in terms of <laughs> boogie language. Well, that's only the half of it. Okay, our fourth story, which is huge, is John John Florence hinted at taking some time off from the WSL this year. Huge. It seems like he's not 100% there with his knee. He's focused on the long-term health, and he's questionable for the rest of the CT year. Yeah, we actually had a reader because I've – mentioned my confusion with his injury a few times. And actually one of our readers, actually, sorry, readers, a listener, uh, a guy named Lachlan who's a physio sent through a big long email that, different to- that detailed all the different types of surgery and he kind of broke down what he thinks happened. And it was really interesting and there's all kinds of experimental approaches that he assumes went on. And he finished his email, he said, the likelihood is that the knee is certainly still not as good as it could be. The repair will have fully healed by now, but the delay in starting rehab while having to nurse the repair would have seen him lose considerable strength and some degree of agility. It will certainly be interesting to see how it goes. And he was referring to the Olympics and he sent that before the Olympics. And I think it's safe to say that now that we've seen it, the, the, it went shithouse. I would like to think leading up to it, that Kelly Slater was sending him texts like he, you know, John John was dropping these little edits leading up and just being like, "Hey man, like looks pretty dangerous. Like that knee doesn't really look good." <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he clearly was. What what percentage would you put on John John in terms of, um, you know, not his effort, but certainly his potential? Because I, I think he was at like sixty percent, maybe fifty, even sixty seems fair. Because. It, he just like, especially compared to Kolohe, where they had that heat where they matched up, and Kolohe looked so razor sharp and was stomping his board and aggressive, and John John just looked so tentative. And he did try and a, a, a reverse at the end when he absolutely had to pull it all out of the bag to try and get a score. But before that, he just looked really timid, and and it was a it was a bit of a no show. It was. I had this idea for a little while because we saw at set, we saw these traffic spikes with the Olympics, especially after the gold medal match. We saw a huge one with people trying to figure out who Itilo Ferreira and Chris Amor are. And you'd see like the stories, but you'd see what's trending. And we saw these stories spiking. And it made me wish that maybe next Olympics, it made me wish that we'd written, I wanted to write a guide of just really bad information with like a good SEO search engine headline that's going to get people from mainstream and, and just really give them things that aren't true. Like what sort of stuff? And Well, the one that I want to do, which it's probably good that it didn't happen, but I did want to say that John John was likely on some sort of like rhino horn supplements <laughs> to heal in time. I just wanted some horrible bit of information to go over somebody's head and make it onto some mainstream website. Oh, that's only the half of it. Uh, story number five, speaking of Florence's, John's brother Nathan launched an OnlyFans, which is very kinky. Did you see that? <laughs> I did, and I, but I was a little bit confused. My understanding 
of OnlyFans is that it's the majority of it's X-rated content, right? So here's the thing. I looked into it a bit and I don't think that was their intention. I hmm. think they genuinely started with the intention to get people like Nathan, an expert in his field, to create his own content and allow people to pay for it, pay him directly for it. And then porn, <laughs> just porn. <laughs> and now it's synonymous, you know, which is so funny. Yeah. The one thing I read, it sounded like they had a, some sort of Ukrainian sex lady take over and really shift the focus to porn. And I just find that hilarious. I, I think it's so funny when these things start with pure intentions and then everybody just starts taking their clothes off and fucking everywhere. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the way the internet goes, right? It's 70% men on OnlyFans. And I just, I've, I've heard of a lot of men on there that are actually doing what they, what they call gay for pay. So, I mean, if you look at the numbers, women don't really care about X-rated content. It's mostly the men. So a lot of them are just doing uh, content targeted towards gay men. And I think maybe Nathan Florence, hot young surfer boy, could be, it could be an option for him. I would like to think that somebody's getting off to watching him duck dive. So is like, his content surf content? Is it like how to surf better? Yeah, yeah. It's just surf tips fully. Right. Surf, I think some workout stuff as well. Just stuff that he's learned through his career that he's sharing with people. It sounds cool. Huh. But it's funny that it just, the I guess OnlyFans still is a good platform or offers a good service for if you want to do that. And it's funny because it just sounds like he's making porn when in reality he's duck diving. <laughs> do you think he'll be slightly sexualizing the duck dives a little bit, like kicking that back leg in a certain manner, um, maybe oiling himself up before he... He gets in the water. Like, do you think he'll start to sexualize it to to aim towards that 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 female or potential potential um, gay male audience? I hope if that's not happening, that somebody just realizes they have a weird duck dive fetish. <laughs> like, I hope even if it wasn't the intention, I hope somebody just sees that as like just gets kind of horny. It's like, oh yeah, duck dive. Oh, that's only the half of it. Okay, our last story just shows what works on the internet, which is essentially bullshit. And we wrote an article last week about how this guy named Adam Newman, who was the CEO of a co-working company called WeWork and is apparently a wild card, refuses to paddle out and just uses a jet ski every time he surfs, even if it's like three, four foot. He's just, doesn't sound like he's stepping off, but he's just refusing to paddle just getting lapping through the lineup, which is the most fucked up thing I've heard in a while. <laughs> Especially if you're surfing with him or for whoever is surfing with him in those like fairly wave-starved regions of, of New York and like they don't have waves all year. Imagine if you're trying to compete for waves and someone's just buzzing around on a boater cycle and you just like you got nothing. Yeah, so we somebody wrote about it. I think they wrote a book or something or a long-form article about him and – they acknowledge that it's a surf taboo. They acknowledge that this is not how things should happen, but it sounded like the guy just really didn't care and was just like, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't have time. You don't know my life. Like I need to, this is how I'm going to surf. And I can't imagine sharing a lineup with him. <laughs> like, well, I mean, I think that type of mentality of like thinking that they have special, special rules surrounded by themselves and which is also quite a common trait of, 
CEOs is narcissism. And I mean, surfing with any narcissist is, is going to be not too pleasant in terms of their ability to share or um, just not be general fuckwits in the water. So, um, I mean, I'm not a, I can't formally diagnose him, but all the signs are pointing to a giant uh, egg beater. All, all the signs, all the stars, all the books, everything. <laughs> so, what do you, what do you make of that? And, have there been any reports of, of anyone that's seen him and surfed with him? It was happening in Montauk, New York, which has a really cool core surf community. And I've been out there. A few- I lived there for like three months. So yeah, I love that town. Wow. What wave do you think he'd do it at? Oh, I don't know. I mean, there's that little stretch there at Ditch where it seems to be kind of like the most consistent. You couldn't do it at that right point that I don't want to mention in case that's a, against the, the law. But, you know, that little stretch there at Ditch, you could probably murder seven or 8,000 people every time you went for a surf if you had a jet ski there. So I don't know. Good numbers. Yeah. <laughs> He's a sociopath. He doesn't care. Yeah, he has no time for you. So die. Yeah. I know Taj Barrow for a little while there was was using jet skis quite often in the surf and, and not even stepping off or towing in. But, I mean, I think he would step off, but just so he could catch as many waves as possible. And then, you know, you'd stand up on a wave. If anyone's ever stepped off, you know that you sort of wash off all that speed pretty quickly and it just turns into a regular wave. So I know that he was, I know that he, I think maybe 10 years ago or so, I remember reading an interview where he talked about that and he just claimed that he just wanted to catch more waves. He didn't claim that he was too important and his time was too precious to paddle. But, um, you know, there is, a, there is a really lazy side of me that, and an unfit side that got to think is somewhat appealing. Yeah. If you, if you watch any surf clip that's like a highlight reel of a French winter, it's probably 50% step-offs. Is it? It's, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could tell if you don't see the person paddling in, they probably didn't. Oh, really? Just because those yeah, beach breaks just, are so heavy over there or is it because they're hard to get out or why do people do it? Bit of everything. And when you paddle on those bigger days, it's just so easy to see good waves and never be in the right spot. It's just, there's a lot of water moving pretty much. And with the tides, things shift so quickly. Whereas you just always seem to be fighting some sort of rip, some sort of current. It's a battle, it's cold. And you're always just out of the spot, it feels, unless you're really lucky. Whereas the ski solves all those problems and you're just smiling and standing in tubes. Has the big dick power surfer been known to step off occasionally? No, I don't have, I don't do that. You don't have friends with jet skis? I I have some friends with jet skis, but I don't really lean on them. I have one buddy that every year, there's always one day that makes us talk about it. One day where we kind of just, have a bad session we're like let's go let's look on the used sites and we look and we just don't do anything at all yeah but yeah pretty funny i think we'd all agree that surfing the the small waves of montauk new york on a ski is is essentially a surf crime so it's probably a good good time to segue into our new segment which is which is all about surf crimes and and i guess firstly like what would what's his punishment i would punish him by making him go out at let's let's say Nazare without a vest. He needs to if he's gonna be a jet ski guy, 
he needs to go on a big windy day at Nazare and he's not allowed to wear a vest, not even an impact vest, and he's got to go whip into one. That's huge. And, and fair. You're a hard man, but fair. I, I, I think that's the perfect punishment. Yeah. Anything come to mind for you? Any? Um, how would you like to see him pay for his sins? I think that one of the annoying things about being in the water when there's a jet ski is the fumes and the noise. And with that in mind, I think he should drink some petrol every time he wants to ride a jet ski. So it's sort of like this, you know, he has to kind of somewhat kill himself a little bit with that, with that petroleum poison if he wants to surf the ski, you know. So if you're seeing that they're spewing, it's because he's, done, he's, paid, his, he's paid his pittance. It's just part of it, yeah. yeah I, I like think, that. That's not good. a lot, like maybe just 600 mils. Uh, which yeah, I don't a know few how, swigs. Yeah, a few swigs, a few big gulps, and uh, and then he's he's you know he, he's free to ride his ski in, in, as far as I'm concerned. Ah! Yeah, there he goes. All right. So, do we have some other surf crimes? A few sins confessed. A few fun. A few punishments to we administer. We certainly do. People were pretty forthcoming. We just picked a couple here that um, that were, I guess, were our favourites. Um, why don't we start it off with a guy named Rod? Ocean Beach a couple of years ago, jamming down the line, about to pull into a pretty nice barrel section, seven or eight foot day. Little cuckoo could chew on the end of the section. I see him and pull in and then try to call him off and he just course like a moron doesn't know what's going on decides to go for the wave get caught in the lip so i have to just kind of punch out the back as fast as possible as not to get you know destroyed by him and he couldn't get back out and so i'm like looking for him but he couldn't get back out and i see him stuck on the inside and i never really got to give him the verbal punishment that he deserved so i was thinking maybe you guys could just in case the moron is uh listening to this what do you make of that buck i love how you could still hear the haunting in his voice like this man has not let that go yeah you know what else like it wasn't that's he didn't even follow the segment correctly he's he's uh he's forthcoming with someone else's surf crime not his own that's how much you know hatred and he holds for this guy he just still needed to vent it out by by trying to shoehorn it into this into this section when it, it doesn't really even fit. Um, so I don't know what to make of that. I guess we could try and punish the guy or, or what do you think just as a general rule, if you fade someone accidental or on purpose, should you paddle back out and face the music? I think you should. Absolutely. And in Rod's case, ocean beach can be hard to get a good wave at. And so I think that factors into why it's still, why he's still having to live with this. And I think it's okay to confess on behalf of another person because I just want to, I want to let all the world feel good and get everything. I don't want any weights on any shoulders. So if this guy does listen. I think that we should still punish him. And I do think we have to factor in just that, how hard it is to get a good wave there into his punishment. Right. So the stakes are high. They are high. And What I would suggest is, okay, so Ocean Beach, San Francisco, known for in the past 10 years, however long it's been, getting real tech heavy and becoming a bubble for the tech industry. Sure. 
And so I'm going to assume that this guy works in that field, this burning man. He's just like, oh, surfing's cool. I'm going to try it, but I don't really know what's going on. Next thing you know, he ruins a good one for somebody and just runs away. And so I think that as much value as Rod saw in that wave, this guy probably gets that same joy out of talking about his stupid fucking startup. And so I want to take that away from him. And my punishment is he can't talk about his dumb startup for a year to oh, anybody. That's brilliant. And he's also not allowed to talk, to talk about Burning Man if, he, if he's ever been to that as well because he's a Burning Man now, but the Burning Man Festival and anyone who's ever been to it, we all know that the only reason they'll ever stop talking about that is if they lose their voice. So I think that should be attached. He can't talk about his startup or Burning Man Festival. Totally agree. He's just got to sit there microdosing in silence and not talk about either of those things. And that's, that's the only way, because that's going to take away a lot of the joy that he could have experienced but didn't, and that's what he did to Rod, so I think that's a fair punishment for him. All right, we've got another one from Jason, who didn't record his voice, but he typed it in and he said, realize, spelt with a Z, which means he's likely to be American. He said, I realized my biggest surf crime to date is that in my early years, I would wear a wetsuit with boots and gloves, but no hood. I think that I was under the impression at the time that hoods were not comfortable and extremely uncool. I'm now wiser and I've realized that the acceptable wetsuit hierarchy is hood first, then boots, and then only in the coldest of latitudes are gloves acceptable. Please help me make this Right, I feel as if, I feel guilt over this, as if I this misdeed has caused a mental block that is holding back my surfing progression. This thanks. This is a very complex issue, and a hot topic, to be frank. Is it? I where I grew up, which gets really cold. You went booties, gloves, and then hood. Mm. You went with the the formula that he is confessing to. Yeah. That, that, that was my understanding as well. I've, I haven't surfed in cold water a hell of a lot, but I remember when I was in Chile, I went through that exact same process, booties, gloves, hood. And so I was really confused by reading, reading his thing just then. That I was kind of like, that's, that's how I would have done it. I have to say in my later years, I've shifted to, this is almost a confession for me, but I've shifted to booties, hood, then gloves. And I like to tell myself because in the winter here, we get these big storms and the water just becomes disgusting for like weeks at a time. So I tell myself, I'm not putting on the hood because it's cold. I'm, I'm putting it on because my ears and I don't want to get anything in my ears because I still feel like it's not the right thing to do. And I'm like, oh, it's just for the, the health of the ears, you know, mustard in the neck. And so I've shifted to that. What is the standard here though? I don't understand why you would be judged either way. Is it some sort of question of masculinity? Like why wouldn't it just be whichever one you're feeling and, and why would this be worthy of punishment? I'm a little confused. I think it's just one of those things that you need to have a really strong opinion on for no reason, just something that doesn't <laughs> matter, as you said, and you just need to have that like strong opinion. So, and it's, to be honest too, I've seen a lot of people specifically in California do what Jason's doing, which is the hood first booties gloves. And that's a whole, like that, I don't agree with at all, which. Oh, so you're yeah, down with I, having this, having a, some sort of formal 
recommended approach. Like you, so you grew up in New Jersey. What what was the standard there? What happened? What was what was the typical or the accepted order? It was the booties, gloves, hood. Huh. And people people would talk shit if you if you did it in a different order. I do have the sense that when I say that I've shifted, that I might get a call from one of my buddies from home making fun of me for just no reason. Like, what? Why does it matter to them that you know I live on the other side of the ocean and that I wear a vaguely different wetsuit combination to them? But it will matter to them, and I will get a call. And I think that's great. I think it's great that it's something that people feel passionate about because it's just so fucking stupid. Yeah, this is something I'm not. I'm not qualified to to comment on really. But what would you what would you say his punishment should be? Well, you can tell that he's still living with this. You know, he really wants to. Mm be able to move past it. And so to me, the issue seems to be he needs to do some grieving. And what I would recommend is that he needs to attend a funeral in a wetsuit because that's the only way <laughs> that he'll be able to grieve and properly move on. Like that's what the funeral process is for. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. That's really clever. Everyone wins. It's black, so he's not disrespectful. It's He's on... You know, it's, that's a pretty standard funeral attire. Um, he's going to stay warm, but yet he's there um, paying his respects to the Wetter gods, which I guess is Jack O'Neill. Yeah. Yeah, great punishment. I think that's good. Yeah. We'll let Jason decide whose funeral it is, you know. It, he can kind of gauge just in the social, in social system who he wants to do it for, but I do think that he won't be able to move on until he has that 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 grieving process and really – that will help him shed what he's living with and, and start anew. Do you remember Shania Twain? Sure. That don't impress me much. Well, she used to perform in rash vests, rash guards, rashies, body glove. No way. Yeah, you can Google it right now. And it's 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 fascinating. And... I don't know how this trend didn't catch on. I don't know if she knew what she was doing, but there's more than one instance. I think she might have even been on the cover of some sort of DVD wearing a body glove rashy. Jason, he could start a... He could just be joining Shania, a living hero in in really fashion-forward behavior in my mind. Yeah, maybe wetsuits are the future of athleisure. <laughs> yeah. Or the future of grieving. I mean, you're going to go into a... Okay, so you're going to go into a funeral. You're going to expect to cry. You want to stay dry. What better attire? It really is perfect. It's it's what you'd want to wear at a funeral to pay yeah. your respects and to really just stay warm and it'd be great. I mean, you can comfort someone who's bawling their eyes out and they could be just have their head on your chest, which does happen at funerals, and just pouring out tears and you can just have... Not even the slightest concern for your for your outfit. And imagine the grip you'd get out of that too. Oh yeah, you, know, you have so much more traction there than than with like cotton or whatever. You'd really be able to grip them in. Everyone wins in this scenario. Just think about the poor guy figuring out if you should wear booties or not. Oh, no. That's gonna. That's gonna. <laughs> he commits the crime again. He gets to the funeral. Oh no! <laughs> I've done it again. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right, we have 
one last surf crime for confession this week, and it's from a guy named Spencer. Okay, my surfing scene. It's probably about seven or eight years ago. Surfing a beach break, and I'm shoulder to shoulder with Connor Coffin, who who I do not know. He does not know me. I knew who he was. He was like just pre-tour at the time. And the wave of the day just comes right to me. And Connor kind of gives me this look like, hey, are you going to go? Because I'd really like that wave. And I turn around, scratching this thing, and just completely eat shit on the takeoff. Just fall out of the sky, pinned the bottom, sand up the nose, the whole deal. So I paddle back out. And Connor starts paddling over to me. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, hey, man, like, you know, how was that wave? Like, it looked look so sick. And I realized that he hadn't seen my wipeout. He just, like, wanted to share in the excitement of what should have been a great wave for a complete stranger. Just pretty classy move. And I look him square in the eye, and I just fucking lie. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I made the drop. I got some vision, and then, you know, just, just got clipped at the end. I felt like such a piece of shit as I said it, but I was too embarrassed to tell the truth. And I've been living with it ever since. And I appreciate you guys giving me the chance to get it off my chest. I love this one. I love this one so much. What a, what a hard situation to deal with. You know what? I think most people would do that at that point in time. You know, I think it, I don't know if there's many, honest individuals living among us who would just look Connor Cough in the eye and be like, yo, I ate shit. Like, I did not surf that wave at all. I just fell from the sky. I don't know. I, I got to think that Connor, out of all the pro surfers that you could be faced with in a situation like that, he's the probably one of the few pro surfers that I would tell the absolute truth to and expect nothing but condolences and, and support. He probably let me cry into onto his wedding grip in there and cry on his chest. You know, I feel like he's the one guy that you could lie to. It's a bit of a different situation, but I do feel like one of the most frustrating things that I experience in the water is when you see a wave that's so clearly an air section and the air section is like right there, it's, it's 20 feet away and you see somebody wanting it real bad that you just know is not, they're just going to go to it and kick out. They're going to ride for like three seconds and just kick out. And I'm like, please, please, please. I haven't seen an air section like this all day. Like, please let me fucking get this thing. And they're just like, no, I'm going to just stand up on my feet and kick out. I'm like, you could have done that on any wave. <laughs> and sometimes I feel like barrels like enhance that sense of like, this wave could be used in a really specific way by somebody who's really going to enjoy it. And I do think that's what, that's what he's living with, with his, with his guilt, you know? Yeah. That and then just the, the guilt of being dishonest. So it's, it's a good one. That's a, that's a deep one. But I'm happy to hear you be honest with Connor Coffin. Are there any pro servers you wouldn't be honest to? Anybody you'd look in the eye and be like, oh, yeah, then kind of pinch me at the end? Well, I mean, when I met Christian Fletcher, you know, he's, he's, one of the most like intense humans you'll ever meet. And I think I could definitely lie uh, to get myself out of a conversation with him or a situation with him as quickly as possible because he's, he's just kind of spitting venom the whole time and he's entertaining, but you know, I wouldn't want him breathing down my neck. I actually did have a situation once that started similar to Spencer's scenario where 
you know, I was face to face with a pro surfer when a wave of the day came through. But mine ended really different, differently because we, we both went on the wave. And um, it was actually Kai Otten. You remember Kai Otten, former winner of the- Of course. The uh, Portugal event. He, um, we had this wave like popped up and it was a peak and he thought it looked more like a right, but every wave looks like a left to me because I'm goofy. Sure. And so we both, we both went and it, we got really tangled up. My board got trashed. There's a really funny photo of it actually. Like I'm upside down in a lip, like legs poking out and he's kind of like going over and his arm in the air flailing. And um, yeah, I mean, he was like the opposite to like Connor, I think, who is, seems just like such a lovely guy, you know, play your song on the guitar, that type of uh, happy chap. Yeah, Kai was like pissed and he wasn't pissed at me. He was just pissed that no one got to ride that wave because it was the, the better one that day. And um, he later acknowledged that, he, that I probably had priority. So it was probably my wave. Uh, not that we're in a heat, but, you know, he, I guess for when you're a world tour surfer, priority just follows you around everywhere in life. And so, Chases um, you, yeah. So he, uh, yeah, but when we popped up, he was just so mad that no one, no one got to ride that wave. So, you know, I, I probably would have lied to him if, if he let me go and then I nosedived, which I would have done. It sounds like a brilliant piece of art was born, though, in, in terms of that photograph. <laughs> I would love to photo. see that. Yeah, I'll Please send. Do. I'll send you the photo. It's uh, it's it's pretty classic. Um, yeah. So I mean, what do you make of Spencer's crime? Like, do you think it's a huge one, or do you think it's a small one? You seem to think it's pretty relatable. I do as well. I get where he's coming from. I get why he he didn't want to he didn't want to disappoint the big puppy dog eyes of of um, Connor Coffin. I think it's very relatable. And I just love the fact, I mean, he said it happened a few years ago, right? Like I, I think, I think knowing that it's been on his mind for a bit, because I do feel like we all have these things. If we look deeply that we're like, Oh, I really didn't do the right thing there. <laughs> or, and like, that's not even a bad thing to do. It's not even like burning somebody or whatever. It's just like, it's just a funny thing to, that just your mind goes back to yeah. every now and then. Yeah. Which I love. In terms of how to get through it in his healing journey, I would say I think what he needs to do is he needs to get on Instagram. He needs to write like a few different kind of paragraphs of text that kind of read like a guy trying to resolve things with like his ex. Like he doesn't have to reference Connor Coffin or the burn or even surfing. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of read as like a desperate apologetic man trying to win some person in their lives back and just hit WSL with that until they get like, if they're just like, Oh, you know, here's John John Florence won this event. Just his comment should just be this weird. Like it, it just seems like he's talking to somebody in the wrong place or he misfired on <laughs> a message. I think I just want to see him all over the WSL stuff deeply apologizing kind of in that way of like a, you know, an ex trying to resolve things. And I think that would help him to heal. I like that. That's, that's, that's fair. That's a fair punishment. I think given the, the severity not being too extreme, the only punishment that comes to mind for me, which I think can be additional to yours is that he should have to use the wrong temperature wax for one surf. So minor, minor crime, slightly slippery session. 
And you'd give him the the choice to go too warm or too cold, or would you? Well, if he lives in a cold climate, which um he probably does, if he's in California surfing with kind of cop. Oh no, he said where it was, right? It read like California, or it sounded like California to me. Yeah. Yeah. So the water temperature doesn't change much there year round. So I guess whatever whatever wax is is you know maybe a tropical wax, maybe an Indonesian tropical wax for one surf. I think that's fair, yeah, because you can get away with some winter stuff there in the summer. It's not great, but you can. I think it'd be worse to to go just Indo base coat. Yep. With it. Yeah, I think that, I think that's reasonable. I like that. That's good. I hope he's able to find some wax. Can be hard to find these days. Oh, is it? Is there a is there a wax shortage? I didn't know that. There was here in the winter. I think we're all good now, but there was a while where I couldn't find my beloved purple sex wax and it was very, very hard for me. That sounds like a difficult time. Yeah, I got through, but it was hard. You know, we all have battles that we fight. Yeah. All right, Mr. Buck, I think we're, I think we're done. Sweet. Well, thanks for the chat, Danny. Thanks, Buck. And thanks to everyone that submitted their surf scenes this week. I was calling them surf crimes when I was chatting to Buck, but then I remembered he actually called them surf sins, which is just way better. Alliteration, it's awesome. It's amazing. It's, uh, it's astonishing. It's ace. Please submit your surf sins for next week's show. Both Buck and my email are in the episode description, so you can find those there and send us a voice memo straight to our emails or I mean that's a preferred method alternatively you can send us a voice memo on Stab's Instagram account the other thing to do is watch the latest episode of Van Stab High presented by Monster Energy Costa Rica second episode is out and I mean if you want to talk about people hitting air sections that they just shouldn't hit hitting them late and just doing everything they can to hurt themselves basically this episode is just full of people pushing it and flogging themselves for our entertainment. So check it out. Episode two is out. The link will be in the episode description. Now it's time to hear about the Olympics with Mike and Stace for Stabcast. All right. Stacy Galbraith, we just came out of the Olympics uh, last night. Just going to go right out and admit it. I fell asleep uh, just before the men's final. Missed both of the actual finals. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I hope and assume that you were awake being, you know, considering your time zone. So uh, tell me, what was, your, what was your takeaway? We just watched the surfing in the Olympics for the first time ever. How are you feeling about it? I love surfing and I love competition and this was no different. I, I absolutely loved, I loved watching it. Uh, pretty funny, actually. Everyone's still debating whether surfing belongs in the Olympics and I'm still debating in my own head what I even really think of it. But when I break it down, I love surfing, I love competing and all the top guys and, and women were going crazy and it was sick to watch. The waves showed up and it was sick i thought it was great to watch one of the boys chirped into the group text and just said i don't care what day it is or what sport it is if we're talking about it in this group chat it's good viewing and i thought you know that's true like if we're talking about it then we're into it so yeah it was sick yeah when you put it that simply um it's kind of hard to deny like we have 
if you know, not all of, but a lot of the world's best surfers, um, like you said, the waves, at least for the first half of the final day, were pretty sick. We saw some crazy airs and performances and kind of clutch moments. And I think, you know, anybody who's a competitive surfing fan, you couldn't really hate what was going on. Like even, I guess, you know, some people ideologically are going to be like, Oh, you know, surfing needs to remain pure and outside of this sterilized environment and all that. And whatever. I mean, if that's your feeling, then you probably shouldn't be watching surfing on the internet. Anyway, you should be living in some remote corner of the world without internet service and surfing a little peak out front. And that's fucking awesome if you are, but don't get on fucking Instagram and complain about it, right? <laughs> then you're just as much a part of the problem. Hundred percent. Yeah, it was. Um, it was pretty sick. And like you said, there were some big performances uh, on the women's side of things. Amura Suzuki all the way to a bronze on home soil. That was nuts. Beating Caroline Marks in the bronze medal match to to take that out was super cool. And then you know, same can be said for Kano Igarashi or. Igarashi Kanoa, as uh, the, the, you respectfully call them in Japan, which I, I learnt that through the Olympics. Uh, didn't know that that's how you pronounce their names uh, or, or sort of spelled them out when you're when you're talking about them in their in their country. So that was um, a nice little lesson for me to learn. But yeah, both of those two, wow, massive performances on home soil, and yeah, the financial benefits they're going to reap out of this are no doubt going to be massive. Yeah, um, on that point about the. Oh my God, fuck. I'm so sorry. I don't have headphones on right now. So this is going to be fucked. I'll just cut you out right, every time you on. talk. It's fine. Actually, yeah, I guess if we're not talking over each other, it's not really an We issue. learned that after episode one to let each other talk. I did anyway. I stopped interrupting you every time you spoke. <laughs> I think I'm getting better at that. Maybe. No, you are. Um, okay, we should be good now. Um, yeah, on that point, I like this is totally outside of surfing, but just from like a culturally like sociological standpoint. I think it's really cool that um, the Japanese people go last name first. Like maybe it's um, a little bit, oh, what would be the term? Like, I don't, not nostalgic, but just like uh, whatever. Like just the idea of like we are, you know, as much as we are individuals, we're also part of a unit. And I don't know, like, Again, totally outside of surfing and probably way too like meta for <laughs> the staff cusp. But like it's just pretty cool that like they don't put themselves first and that is embedded in their culture so much that you don't call someone by their first name. You call them at least at first by their last name because you're recognizing them as part of a group. Um, so I thought that was really cool. No, I can I can get behind that. Like where where my family's from in Greece, like you, you go by the village name. You know, that's John from Tugan or whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know, like it not really the nasty name because so many people similar names are pretty common over there. So you go by the village and it does, it brings you back to a bigger thing than yourself. And I think it's epic. And also I'm never calling Kanoa Igarashi, Kanoa Igarashi again. It's Igarashi Kanoa. That sounds mental. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, on your point about Amuro or sorry, Shizuki, um, God, I, I hate to say it, but she was one bottom turn away from a gold medal. She caught a wave in the last minute, I believe, of her heat with Carissa Moore needing no more than a mid to high three. And uh, it was a good wave. At this point, the 
conditions were really tricky. The tide had gotten really low. The swell seemed to be bigger and it was just doing that sort of thing where it was just capping 200 meters out and just rolling through. And you had to get really lucky and find either something that reformed or something that didn't break out the back. And there just weren't many good waves that offered like a real nice, steep, cuppy face. And she found one. And again, she needed a tiny score. She needed to do basically one decent turn on a decent wave. She had that wave. She had the section. And yeah, she just, her her fins or her legs or her rail or whatever it was gave out. She did basically the splits and unfortunately missed out on that that, um, opportunity. And again, like if she beats Carissa, the hard work is done. You know, not to speak badly about Bianca Batendog, but she's just, you know, not quite the surfer or competitors, Carissa Moore. So I feel like if Amuro simply pulled off that turn, she was in a really strong position to take home gold for Japan. And I'm sure she'll replay that wave in her mind a lot over the next three years. <laughs> Definitely. The only consolation prize I think you can uh, offer her, which in the individual sports that, you know, we then noticed within the surfing is it's quite realistic to say that winning the bronze feels better than winning the silver. And in Amuro's case, I think she can take home, and she will, a lot of pride from from her performance to be able to regroup from that, you know, having one hand on the final, to then falling out of the draw, but then coming back to win the bronze medal against Caroline Marks. That's, you'd be feeling pretty stoked about that. Uh, whereas obviously the silver medalists, they make the final, but then they lose. You could see how devastated Canoa was on the on the podium there, knowing how close he got, but he obviously finished uh, second overall, which is still an amazing performance. But, you know, Owen's standing there, two hands above head, just so stoked <laughs> because obviously getting fourth is the worst. You've gone that far and you're the only bloke in the final series or, or woman that doesn't take home any... Any silverware, so yeah, that's um, interesting one to note in the oh, individual sports. Just kicking Gabby and Caroline while they're oh, down. Yeah. Um, to, to be fair, though, your your analysis is actually backed by science. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this kind of like theory or whatever, but my my fiance studied the brain, and there's this thing called peak end rule, and it basically dictates that what happens at the beginning and what happens at the end are the things that you kind of remember most and especially the thing at the end. So like, say you go on uh, an amazing trip or whatever. And then in the last, like, you know, you go, say you're on your honeymoon and you have an amazing 10 days with your, um, your partner. And then in the last two days, you guys get in a fight over something stupid that thing that you got in the fight, like that is what you will take away. That is the feeling that you will take away from that entire experience, which was 90% great. You'll take away that 10% of shittiness. And like, that will be how you remember that moment for a really, really long time. And like, it's, it's literally backed by like, this has been studied and backed by science. So um, yeah, it's pretty interesting to think about, especially when, you know, you see the response of someone like Owen, like you said, on the sand doing his weird fucking jellyfish thing. <laughs> and then, you know, Kanoa, who who shocked the world by beating Gabriel Medina with an extremely clutch air and the dying moments of a heat against a surfer who looked primed to win the entire thing. He was just on absolute cloud nine. And then he went into the final and, you know, 
by all accounts, just kind of fizzled for whatever reason. Um, and I'm sure just like Amuro, he's going to be thinking about that for a really long time. Like what happened? You know, this was all geared like, you know, it, it almost looked faded for him to be the one to take this away. Like, you know, his dad grew up surfing this beach. He was obviously Japan's biggest hope and, and he'd had all these incredible opportunities and, and deals and the lead up to the Olympics. And it really just would have been like the icing on the cake, the validation for everything that he's put forth in the past couple of years. And unfortunately, when it came down to that final moment, he just couldn't pull it together. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to it. Psychology, surfing, it's all coming together here on the Stab Cusp. Psychology, surfing, cultural uh, awareness. Yeah, we've got it all. But getting back to it, I think Kanawa is the story of the Olympics. Obviously, he made some business decisions in the last few years that have set him up for life, no doubt about it. Uh, his performance at the Olympics, although he felt uh, a little hard done by there in the ocean, the waves didn't really come his way at all. To come second in the first uh, version of uh, surfing in the Olympics, like you said, on his dad's home beach in his home nation, who he was representing, there's something to be said for surfing every heat in the event. You get to take your fans on a journey through the whole thing. And even though they don't see you get to take the gold medal. They got to watch you surf every single heat that was possible. And, and he did that. So they were, he would have given, you know, extreme value to his supporters and his fans. And no doubt in my mind, um, yeah, he's going to be cheering. Yeah. And I mean, you know, as much as I agree with everything you're saying, like, holy shit, Italo Ferreira just won the first surfing Olympics. Like, I... I mean, and this sounds almost like cliche and, and I don't at all want to paint it as like, you know, he is like the quintessential Brazilian surfer where he kind of came from nothing and now he's, you know, at the top of the world. But like, really, really like this kid grew up the son of a fisherman in a really small town and he grew up surfing on a fucking cooler lid. Like, it doesn't get more like, I even hesitate to say this, but like the rags to riches story, you know what I mean? Like the Cinderella story, whatever you want to call it. Like this kid literally came from absolutely nothing. He was helped along by, you know, surfers that preceded him like Jadson Andre, who saw something in him. They obviously saw his ability and his passion and, and, you know, he came on tour, he had a really big rookie year. And then a few years later, he, he beat Mick Fanning in, you know, in Italo's first event that he ever won and Mick Fanning's last event when he was like a full-time tour surfer. And, and then now he's the reigning world champion. And now he's the freaking Olympic gold medalist surfing's first ever. Like, I, I don't think we can say enough to really, uh, kind of portray like what Italo has achieved and like how incredible it really is. For sure. He's on the craziest journey and it is something that he really shows that side of him, you know, that raw emotion of the, the flip side of it, like the dream coming true. But I just saw a interview on Portuguese TV where he's definitely enjoying the moment and, and sort of letting it all out. You know, we're used to seeing that yelling, screaming, angry, I'm going to surf everyone to death, Italo. But I think this moment for him is going to be, yeah, it's a life changer for sure. Particularly given Brazil and its 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 love for their sporting stars. You know, between him and Gabby, mate, that, those guys, 
they're all the way to the top from from the very very bottom and yeah more power to them it's a it's an amazing story and um again the, the, going into it like what we were talking about prior you know they were the favorites to to win and and it was cool to see Italo win but I think sometimes you think oh it's just a given but you know winning events is so hard and he's just seems to be doing it with ease at the moment and it's um doesn't look like stopping anytime soon I think the next thing that he'll be focusing on obviously is a world title because something that's not many surfers have done in in you know the world tour have gone back to back and obviously I know we had a year off with 2020 but if he now goes back to back in his world titles he's cemented as one of the greats in our sport absolutely um but to that point I do want to talk a little bit about his heat strategy if we want to even call it that um you know I'm sure he he does think about this and strategize, but to, you know, the average viewer and even to me, sometimes it really just feels like when he stands up on a wave, he has two thoughts in his mind. The first thought is if the opportunity to do an air presents itself, I'm going to do an air and I'm going to go as high and fast and spinny as humanly possible. And I'm going to try to land it. And if that opportunity doesn't present itself, He's just going to bash the lip two or three times and try to get a six or a seven or whatever it may be. Um, do you, are you at all at this point after seeing this, I guess, for a few years now, are you, have you become desensitized to this or do you still get just as excited every time you see him kind of like winding up and getting ready to go on a wave? I'm definitely not desensitized to it and it, it's the opposite for me. I try to coach to that. And there's certain servers on the tour that, that have that capability of what he's doing and they're not doing it. Uh, building a house is still smashed into a lot of people's framework. And I think what Italo is showing you is that you can chuck the roof on first and he does that in his heats. And if the <laughs> roof doesn't go on after five or six attempts, then he'll chuck the slab down and start again. And I love it. And you see that in one of his first waves, I think it was in the semi he actually had a similar air and attempt section, I remember, in Narrabeam with, with Connor Coffin, the heat that he lost, the controversial one. The guy nearly greased a 10 on his first wave. It's, it's mind-blowing, and it's awesome because the risk and reward to me, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of the QS and, 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 and the tour when those guys qualified and came on, so it's, it's really not that new to me, but I can understand you asking if I'm desensitized to it, but I'm certainly not. I'm enthused by it because... That's how you fucking win heats. And it's a lot easier said than done. But you see surfers like Griffin Colapinto, they're starting to adapt that strategy. They're not worried about just getting one on the board. They want to win the heat on their first wave. And that is so exciting. It can be stressful if it doesn't pay off, but that's where you go back to your bread and butter. And that's something that he's got so much better at doing. So he's gotten so much better at rail surfing and carving. Still got a bit to go frontside in my mind, but who cares when you're doing backside airs the size of a freaking house that you're staying in. So it's it's one of those things where I think if, if competitive youngsters around the world aren't looking at that, they, they need to be. And it doesn't need to be an air. It's just an attitude. And his attitude is amazing. Every time he stands up, he's looking to maximize the scoring potential out of the wave. He's not looking to just get to the end of it. That's the last thing on his mind. Um, so I think that for me is, is what I like to get excited about when I'm watching it is his attitude. It's fucking sick. And if he falls, it's, it's almost like 
it's scary when he falls because he's just that much closer to making one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not bored of it at all. I think that um, the only comment I would say is over time, if people start catching him, it's just I'd like to see a little more variety. But until people start, like, catching him and doing similar things and matching him, he can just run away with it. There's, you know, my comment about variety just is pointless because what he's doing is psycho. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? Because um, what they're doing, and I say, when I say they, I'm obviously talking about um, Italo and Gabby because I feel like they both adopt that same exact mindset and strategy. Um, we actually saw the heat that Gabby lost. Like, he started that heat with a huge air. His first wave was a huge air. And just so happened that Kanoa backed it up with a, a sick wave, and then Kanoa obviously got that air at the end that flipped it. But the point I'm trying to get to here is that, like, once you get to a certain level of one, you know, muscle memory, natural ability, all that, it really does seem like it's pretty easy for Gabby and Italo to do these airs that for anybody else would be the, the section ender in their career film highlight reel. You know what I mean? And I, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it because on one hand, how can you dock someone for being so good that they can replicate this incredible moment over and over again. But then at the same time, you know, it seems like for them, it's, it's the same as doing a backside Rio for Owen Wright or for Ace Bucking. You know what I mean? Like it, those, that one turn is going to get them a four every day of the week. And this air that they're doing is going to get these guys a nine. And it seems at least obviously from the viewer's perspective, like I, I obviously <laughs> have no idea what what they're doing feels like or looks like or anything in first person but like it really does feel like it it feels to them like a backside Rio would for Owen or Ace do you get like that feeling you, said, as well? you can't really talk to the feeling I've never fucking done anything remotely like that I think you know going over the wave on a jet ski is about as high as I get going on a fucking <laughs> wave in the ocean but nah I don't think I don't think it does um, I think it the degree of difficulty in what they're doing is is so high and you see that with their falls. They are falling a lot and I think that's something that a lot of people um, might not really take into consideration when you're putting like your argument forward. They're falling a shit ton. And, and that's where it plays into your... Too. Like, yeah, like, they had getting, a couple they, falls where his head is like, like whiplashing, like slapping hard on the water. Like that takes its toll. Mm, definitely. So getting back to you, like your original question about strategy is, is there strategy and is there not? 100% there is strategy in their surfing. It just is unconventional to what we're used to seeing at your local NSSA or Queensland junior state title. But that's where the, the landscape and the culture needs to change. Um, and again, it doesn't need to be represented with an air. It could be a massive carve or a massive layback or sitting a bit deeper on the peak and trying to get a deep tube on your first wave. It's just an attitude thing. And their attitude is amazing. And they've just got so much faith in that they'll get their opportunities and it'll come. It's, it, I don't know, man, I could crap on about it for days i think that just what they're doing overall how hard they're competing is it's it's just commendable and i was i was stoked to see it raise the bar of of the other surfers there like kanoa had to go outside his body to to beat gabby and he 100 did fair and square he, he won that heat no doubt in my mind and 
good on him. He deserves it. And he should be stoked about that moving into the world tour for the rest of the year. He knows he can get him now. And it wasn't a walkover heat. Gabby had 16 and a half points and Kanoa had to chase him down. And it was sick. And same goes for Owen. Like, he, he had a, a scrappier heat with Gabby, but it still brought out the best in Owen. And that's what these guys are here for, to be pushing everyone and everyone's trying to catch him. And sometimes they do. And it's great. So when it comes to coaching, um, I'm sure you think about this a lot. And I don't know why it never really occurred to me until this event. Like, I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that it was the Olympics. I think it was just literally kind of random. But I realized that, like, when I used to think of a heat, I used to think that two surfers have 30 minutes to get the two best waves. Like, just straightforward, like, that's what a heat is, right? But in reality... That's not really how it works out. What, what it really is, is maybe it's 24, 22 to 24 minutes of two surfers trying to get the best two waves. And you, you have that original window where if you can get that jump on your competitor, then the game completely shifts and it, and it turns into something entirely different. It's no longer about performing better than your competitor it's about basically controlling the situation based on your circumstance. So if you're in first place at that time, then your strategy shifts to blocking your competitor. And if you're in second place at that time, your strategy shifts to getting the fuck away from your competitor in the case that you don't have priority. Or I guess, depending on what your strategy is, maybe staying close to them to make sure that they can't increase their lead and you get any good wave that comes through. But but basically, I guess what I'm trying to get to is that a heat is not You're 30 minutes long. A heat is 22 minutes long. Yeah, and then and then it's a completely different thing for that last six or eight minutes, whatever you want to call a, it. A favorite thing of, of mine to work on with the, the crew that I'm lucky enough to work with, which has featured a lot of patient surfers. I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of patient surfers, which I think is the hardest thing to be in surfing. But you still need to give those surfers confidence. And, and, and something that I like to, to remind them of is the heat starts when you start. And... That entails changing <laughs> because if, if you don't start till 15 minutes in a 30-minute heat, that, that might be the best decision. That, that might be the right thing to do. A quick start is not necessarily a good start. But when you're surfing against um, a surfer, not necessarily a Brazilian, but a surfer who likes to ride a lot of waves, man, you've got to have some grit. You've got to be able to hear those scores getting read out and just know that you're good. What you're doing is the right thing. What you're doing is the right thing. Getting back specifically to Italo and Gabriel, with how talented they are, they really don't need much of a wave to to get a big score. So that's where you have to be careful and being patient can really bite you in the ass. But it's true, man. You don't get 30 minutes. Absolutely you don't. And you spend you spend 90% of that time paddling or waiting anyway. You spend like 5% of the time actually on the wave face or even thinking about going a wave. So, yeah, that's where I think surfing got a good look in at this Olympics with the commentary that um, we had sort of highlighted that we had a, a, a pommy bloke, Johnny Ryan, who was green. It was the first event he'd ever commentated. And then Barton was backing him up with the knowledge. And it was cool to hear Johnny's insights and angles from his perspective as a non-surfer. It really made me think about the sport in a different light and what he was seeing and how Barton was answering it was actually really cool. Agreed. I actually really enjoyed that. Um, the, the kind of, like, obviously, we're so accustomed to a certain group of commentators at these WSL events, and not even by their own fault, but, 
we're just, you know, we get the same kind of rhetoric and phrasing and ideas and all that. And um, yeah, I, I, I actually agree. I think it was really cool to hear somebody outside of surfing and the questions he was asking and, and the way that Barton was answering in a way that, you know, not only was helpful, I'm sure, to a mainstream audience, but also made me kind of like take, take a step back. And like I just kind of talked about with the, the idea of how long a heat really is, like it, it actually made me think about things from a different perspective. Cause I've, you know, when you're really close to something, I think it's really hard to see it from a different point of view. Um, I, there's this thing called the Dunning Kruger effect where it's basically the, the less you know about something, the more you think you know. So it's like people who, for, like just as an example, who just started investing in fucking cryptocurrency seem to be the one with the most opinions about it, which is obviously fucking stupid. But yeah, it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. It's a natural phenomenon of psychology or whatever. But I also think that there's a flip side to it where sometimes you can be way too close and way too knowledgeable about something that you no longer seek new knowledge or new ideas. Um, and an example of that would be uh, most of us probably take the same route home every day from work or school or wherever it is we do our kind of daily transportation. And um, I always think about like, man, like, sometimes you're in a car with someone and they're like, oh, why don't you just go down that road? Like, wouldn't that maybe get you there quicker? You could take like this route, blah, 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 like just a little bit of a dip. And you'd be like, no, no, no. What do you mean? I, this, I drive this every day. Of course I know the fastest route. And, and I swear, sometimes if you just listen to that new voice who has a fresh perspective on things, you could have your eyes open and, and realize, whoa, I actually saved two minutes getting home this way. Um, so there's definitely something to stripping your sort of sense of knowledge and, and arrogance, I guess, in a sense, and, and um, seeing things from a different person's perspective who doesn't know much about it, but therefore they have the benefit of being able to ask questions that you might not even be thinking of anymore because you think you're kind of beyond that. All right, I'm back on again. Um, but anyway, my little filibuster aside... I did want to talk about something that was uh, very much related to the Olympics, but didn't necessarily get shown on the uh, the feed, and that was the Carlos Munoz situation. Um, did you did you kind of get caught up on this and everything that happened? I did. I got caught up on it. Very unfortunate set of circumstances. Um, I would have loved nothing more than to see Carlos in the Olympics. Talk about changing people's lives. Uh, it would have been massive if he had been able to get uh, a spot in the in the main draw yeah and you know he just to i guess clarify some things um in the last podcast we mentioned that frederico Moraes had to pull out unfortunately because he i guess tested positive for coronavirus this led to kind of a weird kind of snowball effect of um the isa and the ioc trying to figure out who would replace frederico they had a list of surfers who, you know, based on whatever criteria they had previously set, um, were supposed to come in. The first guy on the list was this guy, Angelo Botanelli, 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 uh, I think. Yeah, um, I'm, I, I really, that's really bad on me for not knowing the Italian guy's name. Um, Giardamella. Uh, <laughs> 
he was first on the list, and apparently Italy didn't sign the papers, or he didn't get some test or something. Like it, I think Italy was still a bit hungover from their uh, Euro Cup victory, and they just kind of let surfing slip by the wayside. But unfortunately for Angelo, they couldn't get their shit together in time, so then it went to the next guy, and he couldn't for some reason, blah, 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 blah. Carlos was apparently fourth in line. He got the call up, I think, a day and a half before they were meant to start the event. Um, Carlos is at this time he was on the Caribbean coast of Costa Rica um, filming for his snapped four part there was a swell over there and that swell happened to coincide with this big storm the storm caused the rivers to flood the rivers basically eroded the road back to the main city in Costa Rica which is where the airport is Carlos is stuck in the Caribbean side it's this giant ball of chaos and drama Um, Costa Rica as it has time and time again came to uh, Carlos's aid much like it did in 2014 when they got him a wild card into the lowers event via the fan voting thing Um, and basically they were offering all the support they could freaking boats uh, helicopters, private planes, whatever it was, trying to get him to where he needed to go. He eventually ended up getting a ride in a fire truck, which was like the only car allowed on the roads, I guess, for some reason. So he gets <laughs> literally like a fire truck ride to the hospital to get his PCR test, then straight to the airport to get on a flight. It's this whole thing going on, blah, blah, blah. So, And then he's en route and come to find out, I guess, that he's, he's going to get there on the night of the 25th. And the 25th was the day that they were running. That is the first day that they were running the surfing event. Um, and as we know, the waves were kind of like average that day. It was small and whatever, pretty like, yeah, just kind of marginal conditions. Um, so we basically tried to start this whole petition of just saying like, just don't run the second round. First round is non-elimination. If Carlos misses that round, it's fine. He'll get put into the fucking repercharge and he can surf his way out of that. We know how talented he is. Um, so we started this whole campaign on Instagram. We got an incredible amount of support from Costa Ricans and surfers from all around the world, to be honest. Um, it, was, it was pretty amazing to see the names and handles that were throwing their support for Carlos. Um, and the ISA just wouldn't budge. And the stance they took is that, you know, they really wanted to finish the event on uh, the Tuesday, which was, I guess, yesterday. Um, And on paper, that, uh, I guess, made some sense. As we found out, it wasn't really that great yesterday, at least in the second half of the day. They probably could have, you know, ran maybe the quarterfinals that day and saved the semis and finals for the last day. But as a result, Carlos got there too late and he wasn't able to surf and become an Olympian, which, like you said, it really, really could have changed his life. And, you know, his caliber of surfer, he was probably in that realm where I would, I would put him, um, probably in that same kind of like Rio wider realm where if he really turned it on and had like put some waves and some heats together, he could have been like in that kind of like last little bronze conversation. Maybe if he really pushed it like fucking phenomenal surfer, but you know, not quite at that Italo Gabby level, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it, it was really disappointing to see that he didn't get to surf, but it was really amazing to see all the support that just him being an amazing human and a great surfer drew up in the surfing community. Stab got, you know, just for reference, Stab got its most comments on an Instagram post in the last two years, just people basically saying, let Carlos surf, which is really fucking awesome. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's a shame that, you know, 
everyone loses in that situation. Um, there was only 19 men in the draw where it should be 20. And I think that uh, I'm not too sure what the protocols are. I think it's a big deal if reserves do travel to anywhere in the world at the moment with everything that's going on, particularly Tokyo and Japan with everything that they're going through, the, the less people there, the better. But for Carlos, I'm super bummed. And then just for the sport, like you pretty much would have only made it there if you were in Hawaii, is my guess. And uh, I know there's a certain surfer who's in Hawaii that would have been really fucking pissed off that he was not in that draw. And that's Mr. Robert Kelly Slater. And I just think it's a crying shame that there was just a, a spot there that wasn't taken. Uh, don't know what could have been done differently, but I just think it sucks overall, particularly for Carlos, who made the effort to get there. There was a bunch of other guys too that were on that list that couldn't make it. I know... Um, I'm having a mind blank. Well, speaking of Hawaii, uh, Cody Young. Cody Young, that's it. Uh, I, I was thinking of another Cody. He's, he's, yeah. yeah, he's surfing for Canada, so yep. he wouldn't have conflicted with the two surfers per nation rule. Um, and he's based out of Hawaii, and he actually, I think like Carlos, got a similar call-up and also got on a plane that ultimately was never going to get there on time. So, I, you know, it's interesting because in my mind, it was like the ISA had singled out Carlos and said, you're the guy, you're the next on the list. But it's possible that they actually, um, you know, like, uh, like, a, like a drunk man on, on, a, on a late night spree, sent out a few text messages just trying to shoot their shot and try to get someone over in time. Um, but yeah, so it turns out Carlos might not have been the only one. Um, but unfortunately, no matter how many drunk texts the ISA sent out, they were not able to, to wrangle one in. How pissed do you reckon Kelly is? Let's get him on the potty. He'd be pissed. Yeah, it's it's a weird one because like oh, but he couldn't know. surf because there's two Americans in the okay. So yeah, exactly. Ah, uh, right. Okay, all right. I withdraw all of that. But it still sucks that he wasn't in it. I I do think that Kelly belonged in that Olympics. Um, but oh, and then you think of, I mean the other person. The other person you got to think about is Felipe Toledo. I mean, you, especially you look at the conditions. And you got to think, like, I mean, yeah, Itul and Gabi, incredible out there. Obviously, Kanoa put on some crazy performances as well. But, like, the other person that comes to mind when you look at waves like that is 100% Felipe Toledo. And yeah. it's just hard to reconcile the fact that due to just, you know, I, I understand the rule. The rule did, in fact, allow us to get some nations in there that we might not otherwise have seen. And I think that that's probably obviously incredible for those nations and those individual surfers. It's probably good for the representation of surfing as a whole. But at the end of the day, it's pretty fucking heavy when you don't get one of the top three surfers into the event where they're competing to be considered the best surfer in the world. Yeah, I guess there's a few layers to that. The first, the first layer is that Kelly Slater is in fact his own nation, so that's where he's lo- that fits through that loophole. He could have surfed, no worries, wouldn't have conflicted with the um, the America problem. But yeah, bummed that Kelly wasn't in it. And then yeah, back to your point, I was pretty happy to see the men's podium consist of who it did, uh, given their um, you know current ratings on the world tour. Uh, definitely gave a lot of validity to the WSL platform. Um, So I was pretty happy to see that because then it leads into your question. It is pretty heavy to not see the top guys there, but that's an Olympic point that a lot of sports do suffer that 
they don't end up with the best of the best. You end up with a better variety. So there's obviously two arguments there. And then the women's the women's side actually actually did show that with obviously Bianca going all the way to a second, which is unbelievable for her. Um, super stoked to see her making heats again. I think she's a phenomenal surfer. And unfortunately, a surfer who I don't think you know, has had a lot of luck on the QS since she fell off tour, but as a tour surfer, the way she surfs is, is phenomenal and she deserves to be up on that podium. So, yeah, that was sick. Yeah, I mean, she got a piece of Steph. She got a piece of Caroline, who, you know, was my pick to go all the way. Um, and she, yeah, she, she fucking stood up when it mattered most and good, good on her. Yeah, definitely. How did we go in the picks? I think I did okay in the men's. I think I got one and three, but I did pretty bad in the in the women's. I I, I didn't didn't do very good at all. I don't think I even got a medal. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. I think you're right. And <laughs> I actually went a step further. I mean, you know, we fucking talk shit on this podcast whenever the time comes. Um, but I actually went ahead on BBC World News and dropped my picks on there and got, and got pretty fucking shattered. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I apologize to the um, to the British public and I guess the world public if anybody placed bets based on this quote unquote insider expert's opinion. <laughs> uh, sorry, I lo- probably lost you a little bit of money unless you you happen to put your money on Italo Ferreira, who technically I said that a Brazilian male was going to win gold. So um, at least you have that going for you. Oh man, you finally made it all the way to the top. <laughs> all the way. Any other big takeaways from the Olympics? I guess um, something that's not exactly related to the Olympics, but he did happen to announce it during the Olympics, is that John Florence uh, is likely not going to finish the rest of the WSL season. Yeah, it's uh, no real surprise to me, but uh, I hope that he's It's a all big good. surprise to me. Oh. I mean, come on. It, like, I understand that, you know, he's not at 100%, right? But if he trusts his knee enough to surf for the month leading up to the Olympics and through the event, and he's in a position where, with a couple of decent results at Mexico and Chopes, he's in that top five. He's in the running for a world championship. I guess the question is, does he think he'll be well enough by September to truly challenge for a world title? And if he thinks the answer is no, then he's making the right call. Uh, And I guess he does think the answer is no, because otherwise he wouldn't be doing this, right? Yeah, to me, the the Olympic campaign looked, um, you know, the best it could be. And I'm stoked that... Oh, he looked fucking awful. Let's just be like, he he looked like he was just favoring that leg insanely. Like you, you... I mean, Kolohe, too, is coming off an injury, but he looked like he was ready to fucking fling Ares to the flats. And John, 
I, I, the reason I'm, I guess, hypercritical of this because I've injured my front knee multiple times. And so I know what it looks and what it feels like to be scared to really lean into that leg. And to this day, well, I actually re-injured it recently, so that maybe doesn't count. But even for years um, post my original injury, like if you watch my surfing, I can't, I'm so scared to get my weight on that front knee. And if you can't get that weight on your front knee through certain maneuvers, especially like a big kind of like snap or like a gaff or something like that, that John is really famous for, it's so hard to make that maneuver look kind of like powerful and flowing like he always has and he just looks so tentative on that front leg right now yeah i I, i'm an outsider looking in so i don't know exactly what the the go is there and the decision making but i think that long-term health is something that he's very conscious of and he's still a very young man that has a long career ahead of him so i don't think he's going to take any unnecessary risks and i think in his mind the olympics was a was a risk he was willing to make but as for doing 10 turns on a wave in Mexico and then standing in 10 foot tubes at Chopes. I don't think the knees at that level, um, you know, to get ready for the Olympics, he was going to, I believe, you know, the Huntington stretch of beach there to get ready. And that's a different, that's a different ballpark altogether. So it sort of reminded me a little bit in a way of when he surfed in the pipe masters after his uh, other knee injury and, same thing. The guy is so talented that he can make it work, but man, he looked like very tentative and very favoring the other leg to the injured one. So I think he'd be going for the long-term play here and I'd be very surprised to see him in any CT for the rest of the year. So if you're John and you're thinking about kind of your legacy and you know comparing yourself to your contemporaries, who is he hoping to win the world title this year? Is he is he maybe rooting for Italo so that him and Gab and Italo can be on that same level? Is there part of him that wants Gabby to win another one so that he feels that fire burning? Like, oh, I need to, to chase this guy. Or is he maybe saying like, nah, let's let Felipe get one so that nobody really gets the leg up and I'm still kind of in that conversation for, you know, it's still me and Gabby basically that are really the conversation. He's one of the rare surfers, I think, whose legacy supersedes single event wins or, or world titles almost because he's already got two. Like the difference between John having t- two or three is like not that big of a deal in my I mind. I mean, we, we look at Dane Reynolds and nobody gives a fuck that he never won a world title, let alone a contest. Um, but my point is that in his mind, he does not want his career to end with less world titles than Gabriel Medina or Italo Ferreira. And that's just under you can't even debate it. So in, in his, if you are to, you know, I understand that this is impossible because we're human beings and not aliens that have, you know, futuristic capabilities, but put yourself in John's mind. Who do you want to win the title this year in terms of your own Morgs, psychology? mate. Fucking Morgs. <laughs> he wants Morgs to win the fucking world title. It's simple, mate. It's fucking simple. He loves an Aussie underdog story. Definitely. Who doesn't? His missus is Aussie and he wants, you know, he wants morgues. He wants no competition. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I think that I will, I'll, I'll answer your question and I'll stop being an asshole. I think what I said earlier about it's low rings true for John. Uh, it's something that John was able to do and that's win back to back titles. You know, very few surfers in our, in our sport have done that. Um, Obviously, you know, 
someone I know that he looks up to being Andy Irons managed to do that three times and I know that John would sort of feel proud that he was able to go back to back kind of obviously Andy went back to back to back and you know I think that John would like to be on that pedestal amongst his contemporaries alone so I think he'd you know maybe be pulling for anyone else but it's a low I think Gabby winning three titles is sick but I think winning back-to-back titles is harder Mm. okay Fair enough. Um, And then the other one that kind of pulled a similar, if not way more drastic move than John, is Julian Wilson, um, who I think we failed to talk about in the last episode, but I feel like I want it on the record, on the stab cusp. Um, Did we just see Julian Wilson serve his last major competitive heat of his career? Because, you know, he's basically said he's not going to finish out this year, which means that Looking at the numbers, he's most likely not going to requalify, and it's really a question of do we see Julian Wilson getting on the Challenger Series at any point and trying to regain his spot? So, in your mind, is Julian kind of done as a competitive surfer? I saw Julian and Gabriel uh, exchanging boards um, with you know some a personal note on there, and, and the, the the boards were signed by one another. That to me kind of spelled that it might be his last competitive um, swing. And that wouldn't be the worst way to go out. I thought Julian surfed that heat amazingly. And uh, although he lost, Gabriel, we know he's a machine. Jules had a chance on the buzzer to get a score. He did a big air, rode out of it clean. And if that's the last wave he ever rides in competition, I think that's um, that's a fine way to go out. Mm, a bit uh, Taj Barrowian in that um, <laughs> I don't um, think anyone's ever going to do it better than Taj or maybe I think Freddie P probably did it the best but um, the Taj the Taj send off wow yeah. um, so <laughs> talk about passing the torch to the next sort of generation that was cool but yeah. the cool thing about the Freddie P retirement uh, and I, I can't remember if this is like something we've spoken about before or not but I believe he got his partner to post that farewell message on Instagram as he was paddling out for his heat. Did he? And then he went and then he went and dropped a 10 in his heat. And so for me, that's pretty gangster. Wow. Talk about calling your shot. That's heavy. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think that was pretty sick. So, yeah. Anyway, well, there's been some good retirement stories. And I think, yeah, Jules could be holding his head up high if that's the way that he wants to retire. It's crazy though, like he does feel very young, you know, and uh, when you compare him to like a Mick or a Joel or other surfers that have kind of like um, retired that were at his sort of level, yeah, just it does seem young, but at the same time, you know, we're all human beings and um, as much as this was Julian's whole life for most of his life, it seems like he has different priorities now, and I don't think that is necessarily wrong or right, um, but it, it is what it is, and if that's what he sees as being kind of his driving force, then he needs to follow that. And um, It will be interesting to see, I guess, where he goes with that, though, because um, I think we've talked about it, where his surfing on tour, it hasn't been that enthralling over the last couple of years, but he's still like when he's putting out video parts, they're still pretty spectacular. And I think that um, hopefully he sees that as an avenue to follow up on. Um, but sorry, just to um, 
kind of sideswipe that for a second. When I, when I do think of Julian Wilson's legacy, I think of um, two moments. One was uh, when, I think it was 2014, and Gabby had just won the world title over him, but they still had to share that final in the Pipe Masters. And he got that backdoor wave at the very end and stole the lead. Uh, I think that was like a really incredible moment. And it was definitely this bittersweet thing because it, he he knew he couldn't reach the world title at that point, even though he was so close, there was just nothing he could do. Um, but getting that Pipe Masters win, I'm sure was extremely emotional for him. But I think where we really saw Julian's true character come out and you know this sort of situation comes no times in the lifetime for most people, but once in a lifetime for a very select few people and how you react to that really shows your character, but just how he reacted to the, the Mick situation in J Bay, um, you know, like all jokes and all criticism and all everything aside, like what he did, the fact that he paddled toward Mick and, and attempted to help him and kind of just the raw emotion that he felt after the fact. I think that that really shows you the type of human that Julian is. And I think that's how I always want to kind of remember him um, because, it's, man, the amount of courage that that took and and the, the lack of courage that it seemed to take for him, it was just such a natural response. Like, it was just incredible. For sure. I, I'd like to add to that. We were in a, a setting... Um, in Western Australia, a few years after that, where there was obviously shark issues surrounding events and the way that Julian held himself in those surfer meetings and the way that he explained his perspective on how he approaches his life and competition and, and surfing and, and, and the way moving forward and his perspective on how we should all handle it, it deserved a round of applause. But unfortunately, he was met with a pretty powerful force uh, and, and numbers of, of crew that, that weren't picking up what he was putting down. And unfortunately, that event got cancelled and, and we moved the Margaret River event over to Uluwatu. But, yeah, between him and Michelle Perez and, and more so Julian, Julian was badass and it was really cool to see. And, and he can he has the authority to speak on that given the story you just told. Like, I just thought for him to... Kind of Mick wasn't there, Parco wasn't there. It was that kind of changing of the guard... And Julian just got up and went, this is how we fucking need to be, boys. Like, and, and girls, like, don't let one thing rattle you. You know, we can we can all get around this together. We're safe. We can look after each other. And I, I was like, you know, Julian for PM. And I thought the event was going to run, but we woke up the next day and it was cancelled. <laughs> but I just think, yeah, he, he definitely has some awesome things that he can be <laughs> proud of. And I think, yeah, the, the, the Mick incident was amazing. And then I really was pretty stoked to see him carry the Aussie flame once sort of Mick and Paco had retired and Taj and I think he, he did you know all the Aussies on tour really proud and yeah wish him all the best for his next um, next ventures in well, life well come to think of it politics does kind of seem up his alley he's going to have to arm wrestle Ace Bucken for it but <laughs> uh, they, might, they might run together Prez and VP yeah yeah alright well um, I guess we'll, we'll I'll talk to you in what three years before Chopu, mate. We got Mex coming up. Sit down and buckle up, boy. <laughs> oh, forgot the WSL is a thing. All right, cool, cool, cool. And I guess we'll talk to you in a few days. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Stace and Mike. That's all we have for this week. Uh, we'll catch you next week. 
guilty pleasure is probably Spam Masubi, Doritos, ice cream, lemonade. Oh, I really like races. I really love junk food. I eat a lot of junk food, which is probably really bad, but probably Doritos.